Okay, so where we left off last week, uh, of course, was in Ephesians chapter number 4, and we were in verse number 15. So just as a little bit of recap, the first part of Ephesians, um, Paul was talking about how we are in relation to other believers. Then, starting there about verse 7, going down where we are now, uh, he started talking about spiritual gifts. And he said, uh, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, and those gifts were given uh, in verse 12 for the perfecting of the saints or the completing of of the saints for the edifying of the body of Christ. And in verse 13, he talked about the unity that we should come together in unity of the faith. Of course, he uh, was speaking at this time to the Jews and the Gentiles how that now this uh, new thing had come, especially for the Jews, that now that uh, the Gentiles have uh, been welcomed into the faith and and their uh, religion and life had changed uh, because of now the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks about unity, and we talked about how that even today, it's very important as a church and as a body of Christ that we come together in unity. And then in verse 14, uh, he talked about that we come together in unity and become a perfect man. That perfect means complete. And in verse 14, he said that henceforth, we be no more children tossed to and fro. So that means that at that time, that's how Paul saw uh, the church at Ephesus, that they were children. And, and that word children, we talked about, didn't mean toddlers or teenagers. It meant babies, infants. And what he was saying is, is that here's where you all are, and there needs to be spiritual growth. Um, that henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine and a slight of men and cutting craftiness, whereby they will lie in wait to deceive. And we finished up there in verse number 15. He said, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And we talked about that uh, that's a challenge uh, for us, uh, as Christians, but especially for the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, not only to speak the truth, but to speak the truth in love. And I don't think that that uh, is only applicable to the leadership of the church, to those that are evangelists, pastors, and teachers, but that goes to uh, all of us as uh, Christians that we have to speak the truth. We can't uh, uh, soften the gospel we can't sugarcoat it but we also have to be able to speak that in an attitude of love and then where we kind of left off in verse number 15 was where he said that we grow up into him and when it means him he's talking about into Jesus Christ in all things which is the head even Christ so he's saying that as we mature spiritually we will grow to be more and more like Christ himself, hence the word Christian. Um, The word Christian comes from being Christ-like, so as followers of Christ. So we kind of left off uh, right there, and I wanted to kind of go back and touch on 
uh, verse number 15 a little bit more. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, Paul said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even unto babes in Christ. So that word carnal means pertaining to the flesh. So they weren't spiritual, but they were fleshly. They were carnal. They were still uh, living according to the flesh. In verse number 2, he says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it. In other words, before now you weren't able to bear it. And he said, neither yet now are you able. In verse number 3, he said, for ye are yet carnal. And whereas there is among you envying, strife, divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? So that's where uh, he's saying that if we're fleshly, if we're carnal, if we're worldly, here's some of the things that the Corinthian church had, and that was envying, strife, and divisions. And we have that a lot uh, in churches today. Uh, so that tells us that uh, when we're carnal, we have envy and strife and divisions. And when we're spiritual, we have unity. Um, there's nothing more dangerous to a fellowship than the immature Christian. The immature Christian are the ones that get their feelings hurt really easy. They complain when things don't go their way. And they generally just make a mess of everything. That's what... Uh, people that are emotionally immature do. They complain. It's all about them. It's, it's, it's all about what they want and not what other people want. And when we're spiritually immature, we kind of have those uh, same traits. And that those kind of people can do damage to uh, a church, to a local fellowship, uh, because sometimes that's where the, the pastor and the leadership of the church, sometimes it seems like they have to spend all their time trying to take care of the babes and trying to keep those spiritually immature people. And that's why it's our job as the church body to help those folks, especially new converts, to help them to grow and help them to mature. And that's why we have things like this Wednesday night Bible study. And that's why we have Sunday school and those kind of things is to help people learn and grow and develop in their spiritual life. Immaturity is primarily based on an inward focus. It's all about me. So when you see somebody, you may have somebody at work that it's all about them. They don't care about their coworkers. They don't care about the company. All they ever do is complain about what, what I want, what I need, what I should get, what I should have. That is a very immature attitude. And an immature person is very self-centered. They're very selfish and it's all about them. While maturity is primarily based on an outward focus, a, an emotionally mature person will care about the needs of others. They will care about other people. If somebody is mature, that emotionally mature that you work with, they, they will be courteous to you. They'll be courteous to other people. They won't leave the coffee pot empty. They'll fill up the coffee pot. They'll empty the trash. They'll do those things because they care about other people. And those are people that are uh, more mature and that's the same thing when it comes into spirituality a, a spiritually immature Christian is one that's self-centered and self-focused it's all about me it's not about other people uh, it doesn't matter what the other people in the church think 
they are, they are the ones that, that have to be happy. They're the ones that have to be, the focus has to be on them. Now, here's the other thing about uh, immature Christians. Immature Christians can very easily be controlled by an overbearing leader. They like, immature Christians like to be told what to think. They like to be told what to do. They like to be told where to go. That's where, that's where legalism comes into so many churches across the country because sometimes pastors feel like they have to give rules to people because if they don't, people don't know how to live their life. And that's because they're spiritually immature. And uh, if, if people that are spiritually immature will get sucked in to that legalistic uh, dictatorship leader uh, because they are very, very uh, easily controlled. And sometimes that's what uh, those uh, legalistic people want, that they want people that are immature so that they can control them. A mature Christian is a person that stands on the principles of God's word and does not conform to any certain standards, any standards of a person, any standards of a denomination, any standards of a religious leader, uh, just because they are trying to make people happy. A spiritually mature person stands on the word of God and says, this is what thus saith the word of God. And they're led by the Holy Spirit of God. I knew a, a church that the people in that church, they were good people. They're not bad people, and it wasn't a bad church. However, every time that you talk to anybody in that church and you ask them anything, uh, they would never say, I do this or I do that because uh, the Holy Spirit led me to or because the Bible said. They would always say, well, I talked to pastor and pastor said it was okay. And as long as pastor said it was okay, they would do it. They never said, this is what the Bible says. It was always what the pastor said. It's the pastor said, the pastor said. Now, I appreciate people having respect for their pastor. But if you're living your life solely based on what a person is telling you, how th there would be people that wouldn't take a certain job unless the pastor said they should. If the pastor okayed it, then it was God's will. If the pastor didn't say it was okay, then it wasn't God's will. That's, that's not how God set this thing up. I believe in pastoral authority, don't get me wrong, but there comes a time that in our personal lives we have to be mature adults and mature Christians and we have to know what's right and what's wrong for our own selves and not adhere uh, to the standards that are set uh, by uh, uh, overbearing uh, legalistic dictatorship type uh, ministries. Now, the, the mature Christian is actually a threat to that overbearing leader. A mature Christian that will not conform to the standard is actually a threat. And how does that overbearing leader deal with that mature Christian? That's a threat to them because they don't adhere to the standard. They don't do every little thing that they say. Uh, they will actually attack that person. They will attack them, they will destroy them, and they will cast them out. They will run them off from the church, and they are glad to see them go. And I've seen it dozens of times out th throughout my Christian life, how that you have a, a legalistic dictatorship pastor and somebody that doesn't want to conform. They, they will almost treat a Christian that doesn't conform to their standard of living worse than they would treat a lost person. 
Of course, we shouldn't treat lost people bad either, but you get my point. They, 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 would, they look at a Christian as worse than a lost person, than a sinner. If they refuse uh, to uh, submit to their legalistic uh, rules and regulations. So Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verse 11 down through verse number 14, uh, the writer of Hebrews, which uh, Hebrews is, uh, uh, it, it's not uh, 100% who wrote the book of Hebrews. <clears throat> There's a lot of um, different opinions on that. Uh, I feel like it's most likely the Apostle Paul. Uh, but in verse 11 of chapter 5, he says, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And that word babe, once again, means an infant. But strong meat, Belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses or their judgment exercised to discern both good and evil. And that's what we talked about uh, last week. We ended up with uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where it said, uh, He that is spiritual judges all things, but is judged by no man. And this is again uh, what he said here in Hebrews, that strong meat belonging to them that are full age, that are spiritually mature. And uh, they, and I love this part of uh, verse number 14. He says, those who by reason of use have their senses or their judgment exercised to, to discern both good and evil. So that means... Uh, by reason of use means that they make their own decisions. They, they've been down this road before. They have experience in that. And that sometimes is the difference between spiritually immature people and spiritually mature people is that the spiritual immature Christian sometimes hasn't had the experiences yet. So they haven't been able to grow. But most of the time it's because a lack of dedication to the Word of God and a lack of effort into developing themselves uh, spiritually. And sometimes, to be quite honest with you, it is the church's fault because the church doesn't properly teach people sometimes and doesn't properly bring those people along. I've known churches that every time they get together, it's a salvation message and they don't have Sunday school and they don't have Bible studies. And there's a lot of people in that church that are starving to death spiritually and their spiritual growth is hindered because the church is not doing as much as it could do uh, to help those people grow and develop spiritually. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4 he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall, run, they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be uh, turned unto fables. All right, so there's, we have to ask the question, how can you know if someone is spiritually mature? Well, we're not supposed to judge people, uh, but we can see evidences of that. The bigger question is, how can you determine if you are spiritually mature? How can, how can we look at ourselves and uh, say, where am I at on my spiritual maturity level? 
Well, spiritual mature Christians exhibit several traits. One is Christ-likeness. We're, as, as we grow spiritually, we get more and more like Christ. Another thing is stability. Uh, a mature Christian is sure about their beliefs, they're sure about their convictions, they're stable, they're consistent, and they're unmovable in their faith. And then another trait of the mature Christian is love, love for their fellow brethren, love for uh, fellow Christians. But not only that, but love for lost people. They want to see lost people come uh, to uh, uh, Christ. So they, they, they love uh, fellow Christians, but they also love lost people. And they're reaching out constantly with a mindset of how we can reach the lost. And then cooperation or unity is also another sign of a mature Christian. So let's get into verse number 16. He says, from whom and when he says from whom, he's talking about Christ because he just ended verse number 15 saying even Christ. So from Christ, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And that is a really long verse. So what does all that stuff mean? Well, where he says that the body, the whole body, fitly joined together. If you'll remember what we talked about in Ephesians chapter number 2, if you go back just a couple of pages in verse number 21, he was, he was saying that uh, in, instead of relating the uh, church of God as a body of Christ, at that point he was relating it to a building. And in verse 21, and he said, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. So it's the same thing he's talking about. Only here he's talking about the body of Christ. He's saying that we are like the body of Christ. And it's just the same thing that we talked about when he was talking about the building. It's fitly joined together. So Christ has put all of us here with certain talents and certain gifts so that we can help each other, so that we can lean on each other. Some people uh, are, are better at some things and some people are better at others. And together, we come together in unity and we're stronger uh, because of it. Uh, properly joined together means that there's no separation, that everything fits. It's fitly joined together. And then it says compacted. Now that word compacted means to drive together, to unite. So once again, Paul's going back and referencing unity. So he talked about unity, uh, I think it was in verse number 12, uh, he talked about uh, the unity, and now he's talking about it again, that when we come together as the body of Christ, that everything is fitly joined together. We are where God has placed us, and we're compacted, we're united by that which every joint supplieth. Now, that's really important right there. He says, for every joint supply. What that means is, is that every member of the body is important, no matter how insignificant they may seem. So when we think about our body, would uh, there are certain things that we could do without easier than other things, but 
uh, is your pinky finger important? Well, yeah. <laughs> That's why you don't stick it in a grinder, right? Because it's important. You don't want to lose your pinky finger. Uh, if you lost your pinky finger, you probably wouldn't die from it, but you still don't want to lose your pinky finger. You don't want to lose any part of your body. And here's the other thing about it. If your pinky finger is injured and hurts, the whole body suffers. If you get an infection in your finger, it could kill the whole body. So even though your pinky finger may seem like an insignificant part of your body, when it's hurt, the whole body hurts. You know it. You feel it. It hampers everything that you do. So every member of the body is important, no matter how insignificant. Every member depends on the rest of the body, and the body depends on each member. As the body grows, the individual members grow. So as we grow as Christians, as a church, then everybody in the church grows and develops. It's not just some people. It's everybody. And sometimes... Uh, People grow at, at different rates. Uh, sometimes people uh, are just naturally more studious and they, they tend to study the Bible more and other people tend to be more of learners by listening and by seeing and those kind of things. So we don't all grow at the same pace and we don't have to because God has put us here and fitly joined together. And when he's talking about that compacted driving together and uniting, Mark 3.25 says, Jesus said, if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. So if it, it's almost like when, uh, I've, I don't know exactly the names, but I've heard of people that, that have a certain disease to where their immune system is actually attacking the body. And they have to give them stuff to make their immune system weaker so that it won't attack the body. Uh, that's what he's talking about here. If a, if a house divided against itself, it can't stand. And as, as a church, as a body of Christ, we have to be united because if we're fighting within the church, fighting with each other, then the whole body is going to suffer and the whole thing is uh, basically going to come to a crashing halt. So John Phillips, I have a quote from him. He said, if an individual believer is to mature fully, they need the fellowship of other believers. The idea of an arm or leg developing in isolation from other members of the body is ludicrous. No one can attain full spiritual maturity apart from the give and take of a local church fellowship. The New Testament does not mention freelance evangelists, independent missionaries, traveling Bible teachers or other Christians who have no, no local fellowship and are responsible to no one but themselves. So people, I've heard it many, many times, and you probably have too. People say, well, I don't need that church. I can worship God at home, and I can be just fine at home. I can study my Bible at home. Well, that's true. So, and, and a lot of times we have to do that when we're sick and can't go to church or when there's a pandemic and we can't go to church, those kind of things. But there is no way that an individual at home alone will grow spiritually 
as much as they would if they were in a church fellowship because we, we depend so much on each other. We, it, it, see, I don't have to have every experience because I can learn from your experiences. You, you suffer something or you have a victory in something and I, can, and I can suffer with you. I can hurt when you hurt and I can be uh, happy when you're happy and I can learn from your experiences and you can learn from mine so we can grow spiritually just by being around other Christians. That would be the same as if we said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to take uh, an eight-year-old and we're going to give them a book and we're going to let them and we're going to lock them in a room by themselves because they can teach themselves. They don't need to be around other kids. They don't need a teacher. That they can learn at home by themselves. It would just give them a book and tell them to study it. Well, nobody would do that. We, anybody that said that, we would vote them out of office. We'd say you've lost your mind. You're crazy. Even. Even with through this pandemic with children trying to learn at home, who's, who's been the, the people that have um, complained the most about that? It's the teachers <laughs> because the teachers have a very difficult time teaching children when they're all at home and they're trying to do it online and everything else. So they can't even do it that way. And so a, a child needs to, to be in the classroom with other kids to, to fully grow and develop. Uh, not only intellectually, but also um, uh, to mature as well. So then it goes on to say, um, every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. So that measure means a limited portion. So when each part is effective and does its measure, does its limited portion, to the body, the body increases and grows. And the opposite is also true, that if any part doesn't do its portion, the whole body suffers. So what if um, your spleen stopped working? Your whole body would suffer. Uh, so anything that happens in your body, your body, not only does your body depend on the heart and the lungs and the brain, but it depends on everything else, the pancreas, the kidneys, all that. So if any little part suffers, it suffer, the whole body suffers. And it takes everything uh, for us to be healthy and to grow. And when we're thinking about growth, spiritual growth, this is what we need to understand, that there's only one require, not requirement, one expectation that God has of us as Christians, and that's all through Scripture. And God expects us to grow spiritually. That's the expectation, that we don't stay babies in Christ forever. Now, that's the same expectation that I had of my children. When they were born, if, if three years later they were still an infant, they were still drinking out of a bottle, they hadn't grown, I'd be going to the doctor saying there's a problem. There's something wrong with this child. They're not growing. They're not developing. He's not walking. He's not talking. He's not speaking. He's not doing all these things. We would be extremely concerned if we had a child that wasn't growing physically. And that's how God is. When he sees a Christian that we are not growing spiritually, he is very, very concerned because that is the expectation. And here's the thing. We don't have to be... We can't compare ourselves to other people, okay? What we have to compare ourselves to is 
where am I spiritually now compared to where I was spiritually this time last year? We should, be, we should be more spiritually mature. We should be more knowledgeable about the Word of God. We should be more set in our convictions and our beliefs than we were a year ago. We may not be where God's going to finally get us to, but we have to be better than we were before. Uh, we can't just stay the same. And that's what a lot of times happens with, with uh, good people that mean well, but they reach a certain plateau and they, and they just feel like they've attained it. So I've, I'm good enough. And they, and they stop trying to progress in their Christian life. And that's not the expectation of Almighty God. He expects us to increase. And that's where you see in verse number 16, the last part of the verse, he said, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So that's what God expects. God expects us to increase. He expects us to grow. And this is not about increasing in number. This is not about if we're if we're right as a church, we're not going to be have room and we're going to have to build a bigger building. That's not kind of the growth we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual growth of individuals. That's God's expectation. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said, When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. So that's what we have to do. We, we have to grow up uh, spiritually and be more and more like Christ. And then it says, not only it makes the increase to the body, unto the edifying of itself in love. Now this word edifying, when, when I first read it, I was thinking of, okay, edifying. is like you, you edify something, you pray something. But that's actually, when I, when I actually look at that word and what it means in the Greek, it actually means a structure or a building. So it means to build a house. So what he's saying is, is that, we make increase and we edify, we build the house. So we build it bigger, we build it better. Um, so that's, that's kind of what it means. In a sense, it's saying every member does their part and the church grows and the body is built up. And not only is it built up, uh, but it says of itself in love. So love is really important. And this, once again, this word for love is what Paul used the word agape. So Paul used agape uh, in Ephesians 1.15 where he said love unto all the saints. Uh, chapter 3 verse 17 where he said being rooted and grounded in love. Chapter 4 verse 2 forbearing one another in love. And that forbearing means putting up with one another uh, in love. And then verse 15 speaking the truth in love. And then in verse 16 the edifying of itself in love and all those is the word agape and Paul used the word agape a total of 10 times just in the book of Ephesians and agape was um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that word was actually translated differently he said now abideth faith hope charity these three but the greatest of these is charity that word charity is translated from agape love so what that means is agape love is God's love. It's the highest form of love. And it's like when we give to charity, we write that check, we give that money, and we don't expect anything. We don't expect, you know, if, if I give somebody money, I expect to get the car. 
If I give somebody money, I expect to get the boat or whatever I'm giving them money for. But when you give it to charity, you don't expect anything. It's a gift. I've given this to charity. They take it and they use it. I don't expect a thank you. I don't expect to get anything in the mail. There's no expectation of that gift. And that's agape love. So when Jesus Christ died on the cross, what did he expect from us? Nothing. He did it for us. He didn't do it but so that we would worship him. He didn't do it so that we would serve him. He did it because he loved us. And that's why that people can reject him because he did not expect anything for it. He did it freely. He gave it freely. A church cannot grow and be built up without love. It is essential to the growth of a church body. And listen to this. Without love, the church will die. With love, the church will thrive. Love is extremely important. If we love each other, here's the thing. I didn't always get along with my brother and my sister growing up, but we always loved each other. So even if we had a disagreement, at the end of the day, they were still my brother, he was still my brother, she was still my sister, and we got over it, we got past it, because that's what family does, right? Family, we can argue, and then we forgive, and we get past it. Well, that's what we have to do as Christians. We don't always see eye to eye, we're human. We're going to have disagreements, that's part of life, but... The problem, uh, the thing about it is, if, we're, if we truly love each other and we're truly uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, we will forgive each other, we will get past it, and we will go on, and we don't have to, we don't have to split the church, we don't have to leave, we don't have to do all that kind of stuff, because we're family, and family forgives, and family forgets, and then years later, what do we do? We get together at a family reunion, we get together at Thanksgiving, and we laugh and talk about, you remember when we fought about this or that? And it's funny, years later, because we love each other. And there's always forgiveness comes with love. All right, so we will wrap up there and pick up there next week.